Good morning again. I know the question that's burning in all of your hearts. What is this Alabama fan doing with the Go Blue Michigan Cup? Just trying to channel Jeff. It's good to be with you this morning. Excited about our topic. So we're going to jump right in. With this reading, you can join me by uh, giving your attention to the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. That's like the beginning. It's real easy to find. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault. From the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds, except for cucumbers. That's how my version would read. They would just come out of the ground as pickles, and we could go on from there. But that's not how God envisioned it, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, and it was so. Lost my place there. God made two great lights, the greater light to cover the day and the lesser light to cover the night. And he also made the stars. And God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea. And every living thing with, the, with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas. And let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock. 
the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for your food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of God for which we're grateful for. Today we're continuing, as Terry was saying, on the journey of the path to aliveness with Brian McLaren's We Make the Road by Walking. And this morning we're dealing with chapter 2 in his book. It's entitled Being Human. Now there are very few discussions among Christians as volatile in nature as the discussion of human origin. Are the first few chapters of Genesis to be treated as a scientific textbook or as an ancient poem? Is it pointing to uh, purpose and meaning or is it pointing to a how-to? Are we speaking of billions and years for the creation of the universe, the solar system, our planet, and then hundreds of thousands of years for the evolution of humankind? Or are we talking about six 24-hour days of unthinkable activity and a very, very satisfying 24 hours of rest? Are we speaking of creation being ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, or of creation being the handiwork of a loving artist who comes close and fashions creation out of the stuff at hand? I don't know which camp you're in this morning. And these are but a few of the questions surrounding this subject. Before we go any further, I would like to address them as I understand them. I would like to address them, but I won't. We simply don't have the time this morning to cover all that would uh, need to be covered to do this topic justice. If, however, this question of creation and the origin of humanity burns deep within your mar. I'm available for coffee this Wednesday morning. You see, what I want to address this morning, in my humble opinion, is a far more important matter. The matter of what it means to be human. 
And whether or not you're a young earth creationist or a follower of intelligent design or a Christian Darwinist, what I will challenge you with today should come as important truth for your life. Perhaps even the type of truth that transforms a life. So here we go. First, a poem. Because I like to start with poems. It's by Malcolm Gweet. You made us new and beautiful today. Your spirit softened us like morning dew. Your image shining from us through the clay. You made us new. You woke us and we knew ourselves in you. We walked together at the close of day. You trusted us and called us to be true. When we forsook your love and turned away, you came and sought us where we hid from you. And on the cross, in darkness, on this day, you made us new. What a beautiful line. You woke us and we knew ourselves in you. Join me in prayer. Creator God, we thank you for your abounding love, imagination, vitality, and that your spirit abides with us here in this place, even this day. We thank you that we are the height of creation and a little lower than the angels. Help us to realize what it means to be fashioned by your love, to be called good and to be called true. Let us know as we look at your word today, as we examine the precepts of the origins of it all, that the main point is that you made us. We're yours. And you're a good God, and for that we are eternally grateful. So we ask that you be with us in a special way. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our minds. Give vitality to our hands and feet as we endeavor to be your presence in this earth. In the strong and sweet name of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, we say, Amen. So let me call your attention to the fact right here at the, at the jump off that the scriptures themselves... The Bible, as we know it, has no single telling or univocal telling of the creation story. That there are, in fact, two accounts of how it all began placed right here, chapters 1 and 2, side by side, so as to complement one another or perhaps even to compete for your allegiance. You see, Genesis 1 is an ordering creation account. Some would say it's a beautiful and poetic prelude to all that will follow. It doesn't concern itself with the material creation, but rather how that material is ordered and arranged. It deals with assignments and functions. This is what the ancient people were interested in. Not in the material that was there, but what was the order and regulation and purposes of all that existed. A great book on this is The Lost World of Genesis 1 by Adam Walton. You may want to check that out. But in this account, the world is drawn up as blueprints. It's created ex nihilo, out of nothing. God spoke. Have you ever wondered if God was a high tenor or a low bass? 
These are the things that keep me up at night. But it was created out of nothing. Look at the pattern here. Look at the pattern here. There's a pattern that's coming, I think. Day one. Nope. All right. Well, there's a beautiful... Hey, there we go. Look at this. I don't know if you've ever read this as you look at the Genesis accounts, but day one and day four correlate. Day two and day five correlate. Day three and day six correlate. Look, day one, go back for me, Don. Day one, we have the light. It says that God created the day and the night. And God does a lot of other stuff before we ever get to the sun and the moon. So if we're reading this as a factual chronological account of how everything came into being, we've got to do some really imaginative physics and some some work there, uh, astronomy, astrophysics, to get to the point that there's day and night before there's a sun and moon. That's just kind of how that works. But what's happening is God's authority is being expressed as architect. Move on now. Day two is going to say that there's a separation of the waters. There's this big vault between the waters in, 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 in the seas and the waters above. And so we have the creation of the waters and the sky. But we see in day five, what's happening here is we have the creatures. We have the fish and the birds that are happening. If we move on to day three now, we have the formation of land and plants. And in day six, we have all those walking, creeping, crawling kinds at that passage speaks of we have the land animals and we have us as land animals humanity and then of course day seven rest see this was a very common way for ancient people to understand how the world was ordered that there is an intent and a purpose behind it all and god is the architect drawing out these blueprints but not only drawing them up but making sure everyone is assigned what they need to do where they need to be and how it works and then the king sits on the throne after the creator has ordered everything to be there is this sense of completion a sense of fullness. Things are ordered as they are meant to be, and thus we have a day of rest. Otherwise, it would be interesting that an omnipotent or all-powerful God would need to take a nap. But that's not the point. The point is it was good. And whereas the creation account in Genesis 2 is uh, a much more artistic account than its predecessor. In Genesis chapter 2, rather than address the creation on a cosmic level, its purpose is to address the origin of humankind. In this telling of the story, humanity is the point. Listen. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Do you see here that the order differs from Genesis 1? Man or the Adam, which means the dirt, that from the dirt or the the humus is created before the vegetation. Day six is before day three. 
Also, please notice that this is not the impersonal, orderly creation out of nothing or ex nihilo that Genesis 1 envisions. No, not at all. Here, the architect of the cosmos becomes the artisan of humanity. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This idea of breathing life, the word life here, this, this idea of breath is, is spirit. It's, it's the Hebrew word ruach. And it's the animating spirit that the Holy Spirit blows into the nostrils of the man. Now this is a beautiful Beautiful, intimate picture of the relationship between creator and the creation. And after having created man, God plants a garden. Who knew it? Martha Stewart's a lot like God. The Garden of Eden. (laughs) Which places, uh, which God places two trees of significance and assigns Adam a job. And lays out the guidelines for inhabiting the garden. Picking up in verse 8 of chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Picking up with verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is, this is his job. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And then God continues with the rest of creation, culminating with Eve. See, Everything in this account revolves around the man. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. In Alabama, there's some commentary typically here about why men love ribs. Um, The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman and she was taken out of man. And that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Again, the creation order differs here from that of Genesis 1 because the major point of this story, again, is the primacy and dominion of mankind. But these differences do not render the accounts invalid. Instead, they emphasize the fact that the Holy Bible is not to be viewed as one univocal constitution, that it must be read factually and scientifically, but rather the Holy Bible should be treated as a portable library. Listen to how McLaren describes it in the book we're following. 
We can best think of the Bible not as one tidy story with many chapters, but as a wild and fascinating library with many stories told from many perspectives. On any given subject, these multiple stories challenge us to see life from a variety of angles, adding depth, a sense of direction, and wisdom. So we're given four Gospels to introduce us to Jesus. We're given dozens of parables to illustrate Jesus' message. We're given two sections or testaments in which the story of God unfolds. And right at the beginning, we're given two different creation stories to help us know who we are, where we came from, and why we're here. Let me read that again. And right at the beginning, we're given two different creation stories to help us know who we are, where we came from, and why we're here. McLaren continues by saying, according to the first creation story, you're a part of creation. You're made from the common soil, dust. Genesis says, stardust, astronomers tell us. Soil that becomes watermelons and grain and apples and peanuts, and then they become food, and that food becomes you. As highly organized dust, you're closely related to frogs and tortoises, lions and field mice, bison and elephants, and gorillas. And together with all living things, you share the breath of life, participating in the same cycles of birth and death, reproduction and recycling and renewal. You with them are part of the story of creation, different branches of the tree of life. In that story, you're connected and related to everything, everywhere. In fact... That is a good partial definition of God. Partial. Nevertheless, good. God is the one through whom we are all related and connected to everything. You see, in this first creation account, we learn two important things about ourselves as human beings. First of all, we are good. God says it is good. It was good. It was very good. You're fashioned and formed in the image of the creator God. You are a Yahweh original. Each and every one of you. And your value and your worth doesn't reside in your background. I don't know where you come from. I know where some of you come from and... You come from places like me, a scary place, scary people. But your value is not in that. Some of you it, believe that your, your value is tied up in your behavior, how good you are, how well you act as a Christian, how you check off the prerequisite boxes to being holy. Nope, that's not where your value comes from. Your value comes from the fact that you're formed and fashioned in the image of God. Some of you say, okay, I get it. It's not about my background. It's not about my behavior, but it's certainly about my belief. I'm good. I have value because I believe the right things. And because I believe the right things, I belong to the right people. Nope. We all believe very wrong things. From time to time... As we stand up here or we sit with you over coffee, we're giving you some bad information maybe. You know what? 
If we knew it was bad information, we wouldn't give it to you. That's why it's important you listen and you critically engage with what is said from this pulpit or other pulpits or podcasts or on Facebook. My God, Jesus, help us with Facebook. Your value is not in your background or your behavior or even your belief. Your value is that you are an image bearer of the most holy and the most high. You're fashioned with intention and with purpose. And as a result, you are good. And not only are you good, but we're all good. Every human creature that you've ever met is good. At first, we were created in the image of God. Now, sin breaks us apart. The things we do to ourselves, the the things we learn from our families of origin or from culture or from our education or from our peers, whether it's our BFFs or our bullies, those things scar us and they mar that image and they tear us down and we don't look like we're supposed to look. But everyone is created in the image of God. Red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in God's sight. We must connect with that shared brotherhood and sisterhood. We all bear God's image is the second thing. We're all good. We've talked about it a little bit. We all bear God's image. Listen to McLaren as he describes what it means to be made in the image of God. He says, what is the image of God? An image is a small imitation or echo. It's like a reflection in a mirror. So if we bear the image of God, then like God, we experience life through relationships. Like God, we experience love through our complementary differences. Like God, we notice and enjoy and name things, starting with animals, our companions on the earth. Like God, we are caretakers, (laughs) not car takers, caretakers of the garden of the earth. And like God, we are naked and not ashamed, meaning we can be who we are without fear. First thing he says there is that we're relational beings. Now downstairs and even in our children's ministry with our 11th hour kids, with our Grove students, We hammer this every week over and over and over that we're created in God's image and as such we're created to have relationships in four directions. We're created for harmonious or right relationships with God, with self, with others, and with creation as a whole. We're relational beings. That's that's what that means, that we're meant for connections. And sin, here's a good definition of sin, right? Rather than what gets you in and out of heaven, let's bring that back down and look at it as Jesus looked at it, as the prophets looked at it. Sin is brokenness in any of those four relationships. Uh, Moving on. The second thing we learn is that We're created for unity, not uniformity. Our differences matter. We must learn to embrace them. God does not just paint with black and white. No, it's technicolor everywhere we want to go. God is such an imaginative creator and delights and relishes in this idea of difference. We we think that... That that what God wants us is to be all the same. That's not the case at all. God wants us to be different. But as we're different, 
in spite of our differences and because of our differences, we're about the same heart and we're about the same mind. We love. And thirdly, like God, we notice. Noticing's hard, but we notice. We enjoy and name things like God does. Hesitate to quote it again because I have so often, but listen to my favorite author, Madeline Lingle, as she describes the ecstasy of naming. I fill you with naming. Be. Be butterfly and behemoth. Be galaxy and grasshopper, star and sparrow. You matter. You are. Be. Be caterpillar and comet, be porcupine and planet, sea sand and solar system, sing with us and dance with us, rejoice with us for the glory of creation. Seagulls and seraphim, angel worms and angel hosts, chrysanthemum and cherubims, O oh cherubim, be. Sing for the glory of the living and the loving, the flaming of creation. Sing with us, dance with us, be with us. Be. You see, when we resist the cheap and othering practice of labeling and instead do the hard, intimate work of naming, we are being like God. All sin that has ever been committed has done so under the guise of labeling. It's easy to label Republican, Democrat, Protestant, Catholic, pagan, holy. It's easy for us to label, but naming requires us to come close and to look, to notice, and to enjoy. And in doing so, we can name. Looking deep into that person or being, though, is difficult work. Naming requires enjoyment of the person or being. It's not easy to take delight and pleasure in everyone we encounter, but God does. God revels in all of creation. If we want to be like God, we must train to enjoy those around us. Even that weird uncle at Thanksgiving. I am that weird uncle. <laughs> like the first account of creation, the second account also holds an incredible lesson for us. And so I'm going to read a rather lengthy portion of McLaren because he says it a lot clearer and a lot more succinctly than I would. The second creation account, which many scholars think is a much older one, describes another dimension to our identity. In that account, the possibility of not good also exists. God puts the first couple in a garden that contains two special trees. The tree of life is theirs to enjoy, but not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life is a beautiful image suggesting health, strength, thriving, fruitfulness, growth, vigor, and all we mean by aliveness. The question then, however, is what might that secondary tree signify? And there are many answers, no doubt, but consider the possibility the second tree could represent the desire to play God and judge parts of God's creation, all of which God considers good as evil. Do you see the danger? God's judging is always wise, fair, true, merciful, and restorative. But our judging is frequently ignorant, biased, retaliatory, and devaluing. So when we judge, we invariably misjudge. 
If we humans start playing God and judging good and evil, how long will it take before we say this person or tribe is good and deserves to live, but that person or tribe is evil and deserves to die or become our slaves? How long will it take before we judge the species of animals as good and deserves to survive, but that one is worthless and can be driven to extinction? How long until we judge this land as good and deserve to be preserved, but that river is without value and can be purchased, polluted, or poisoned? You see, if we eat from the second tree, we will soon become violent, hateful, and destructive. We will turn our blessing to name and know into a license to kill, to exploit, and to destroy both the earth and other people. God sees everything as good, but we will accuse more and more things of being evil. And in doing so, we will create in ourselves the very evil we claim to detect in others. In other words, the more we judge and accuse, the less we will reflect God. And the less we fulfill our potential as image bearers of God. So the second creation story presents us with our challenges, human beings. We constantly make a crucial choice. Do we eat from the tree of aliveness so that we can continue to see and value the goodness of creation and so reflect the image of the living God? Or... Do we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, constantly misjudging and playing God as a result, as a result, mistreating our fellow creatures? I want you to hear this really clearly. It is a good and beautiful thing to be an image bearer of God. But it is also a big responsibility. As the band comes up, I want to put some questions before you today. I want you to reflect on these as they sing. The questions for you today are this. Will you use your intelligence to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive? Will you use your physical strength to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive? Will you use your sexuality to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive? Will you use your work, your money, your time, and your other assets to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive? Your intelligence your physical strength and energy and vitality, your sexuality, your work, money and time, assets. They're all given to us by God. So the question is, again, we use them to be creative and generous or selfish and destructive. You see, if the first creation story is about the gift of being human. The second story is about the choice that all humans live with day after day. To be alive means to bear responsibly the image of God. It means to stretch out your hand to take from the tree of aliveness and to join in God's creative healing. Imagine. Let's take a second and imagine. If we used our intelligence to be creative and generous, if we used our place at our works and our schools 
we used our intelligence and our imagination in those spaces not to serve ourselves, not, not, to, not to just get ahead or to get that promotion, but if we instead shared it fully, generously. Imagine if we used our physical strength, just our energy. Imagine if we were the hands and feet to the widow or to the orphan or to the stranger amongst us? What if we decided once or twice a week to just gather five or ten of us to give our hand to the restoration here in town? Or to go to the church and to set up and clean and organize or to put in a playground for our kids? Or to go next to Sister Hazel down the road and I don't know if she would want help or not, but help her clear out that garden. I don't know, that might be a scary property. I don't know, Miss Hazel, that's, that's scary. But what if we did? What if we used our, our energy, our physicality, our strength to be creative and generous? What if we used our sexuality to be creative and generous? What if instead of seeing men and women as objects, we saw one another as brothers and sisters? What if we used our fatherly and motherly intentions to be a mother and a father for those who don't have one in our communities? What if instead of just pleasuring ourselves, we instead gave love and value in healthy and in safe ways to our community? And what if we used our work, our money, our time, and our assets to be creative and generous? I'm not interested in being part of a church that just sits around in its own space. I know, I left the cup down there, but I still feel it. I know Jeff (laughs) wants this place, this community of faith, to be about loving this community and the communities that come out from there. What if we used all those things, not just in a perfunctory or a dutiful manner, but what if we used them with creativity and generosity inspired by the Holy Spirit? Just imagine the town of Bryson City being a place that would be spoken of in hallowed terms. Not only would we be Swain strong, we'd be God strong. you will stand your feet i'm going to close this with prayer confession and a benediction so just join your hearts to me as i read this if you feel so led in the beginning god created all things and god saw that they were good at our beginning god created us unique and irreplaceable loved and wanted by god known and treasured by god even before god created us In all our new beginnings, God creates something new. So we will seek God in the freshness of this morning, in the laughter of friends, in the colors of creation, and in this beautiful place. Lord God, King of creation, open our eyes to see your presence, our souls to sense your presence, and our hearts to love your presence, ever here in your creation and ever beyond it in eternity. And in this prayer, let us confess to you, O God, as a community. Father, we pray to you for your love and goodness. We give you thanks, O God. 
You of heaven and earth, you who made all things and called them good. Each day you shape the earth in wonder and mystery surrounding us with goodness and growth. For your creativity and goodness, we give you thanks, O God. And yet we admit to you our dry and anxious spirits and we confess our anxiety and worry. In your grace, Jesus Christ, nourish and renew us. In your love and goodness, Lord, have mercy on us. Give us healthy lives. Lives are reflecting your vibrance. Lives ready to bear the fruit of goodness and love toward all creation. So that we may be living proof that you're alive and well. Flourishing in our town. For your grace and goodness we give you thanks, O Lord. Let us use your gifts to make new lives possible among us and beyond us. So I say to you today, Grove, go in peace to be part of of the new creation of human community. Go in love to take the hands of those who long for peace and justice and let God the Creator speak through us in all formation. Go, asking Jesus to bring all creation to His calling and to lead our community to the places where He is needed. Let the Holy Spirit be your constant companion throughout the week to guide and protect you. And we pray this, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you soon. Love on one another.